This podcast is a production of the Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, visit our website at www.communitycovenant.net. Our scripture today is from Luke 5, verses 1 through 11. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I'll let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats, so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Thank you, Ralph. Hey, good morning. Just real quickly, I want to mention about the KICY dinner in case you didn't catch it. But even if you haven't signed up, they would love for you to come out. I was sitting back here during that announcement and uh, somebody caught me. Have you heard her story? And, uh, you know, we live in a world where oftentimes in an American culture, we're not exposed a lot just just the powerful ways that God can miraculous ways that God can work and uh, if if you would like your faith encouraged let me encourage you to come back five o'clock to that dinner this afternoon and uh, just so you know uh, third and fourth graders are my favorite so if, if, if do we have third and fourth graders in here any you're my absolute favorite grades today okay really glad that you're here um, so that's that's exciting. My name is Tyler. I'm the I'm pastor of worship arts here at Community Covenant Church, and we're in a series called Shift. And uh, if you were here last week, Mike did a great job of introducing that whole series. But it was it was the topic for our high schoolers. Every three years, they have a huge youth event that they do in like Tennessee, and the theme for this year for thousands of youth was Shift. And it's a recognition that, that God wants to reform and reframe our perspective in life. And uh, so as we come to this, one of the things I think it's really important to realize is that shift doesn't just happen once. 
God is in the process of reforming and reframing and changing my perspective all the time. And for you too. And so, uh, honestly, when I, when I come and I look at the topic for this week, so I was given the shift your idea of how God can use you. Now, I'm going to be real honest, all right, about how that hits me emotively. I don't know about you, but does it kind of sound like what we're going to listen to is, is about how we need to reorganize our lives and do a little bit more? A little more, a little harder, a little better. Is that, I mean, that's just emotively how it hits me. So I want to, I want to begin by, um, sharing a couple of presuppositions I'm bringing to this before we look at this passage and a couple others. But one is, is that God is teaching me to be very holistic. I'm trying to learn how not to categorize and separate out my life so that on Sunday I'm a pastor, on Monday I'm something else, but all the time in who I am and how it gets worked out in my life, I'm a child of God. And so when I look at the title, shift my idea of how God can use me, God can use me anytime, anywhere, and not just when I'm doing ministry. Does that make sense? And so I, what I want to do is view my life in a holistic sort of way, even though sometimes what we do is we break things apart, we dissect, and that's so that we can examine. Two weeks ago, we started off with uh, shifting our understanding of, of our relationship with God. And Pastor Todd talked about John 15, about being plugged into the vine, Jesus Christ. Well, you can see, that even in that passage, that Jesus says, hey, unless you remain in me, you're not going to bear any fruit. So our belonging and our producing in life, they're intertwined. You can't exactly, even if we separate them out and talk about them a little bit. So I'm trying to approach it not in the sense of, I got, this is going to, when I'm going to get done today, sharing, if I'm going to apply it to my life, it's going to be a list of something else to do. But I want to open myself up to reality that God may be doing something and might surprise me and how he wants to use me and when he wants to use me and where he wants to use me. And I'll talk more about that as I get into it. The other thing is, and this kind of ties into my third point a little bit, but if I'm honest, there's this tension in life. There's certain things I, I want out of life. And my longing for God and spiritual things somehow gets mixed together with my longing for things that I think will make me happy and feel good. And so it, what it can feel like emotively is that there's a competition happening. How much, you know, and, and Mike dealt with this great last week with the uh, prodigal son, but how much do I give myself to something so that it's enough, that I've done enough? I've done it good enough. And I think that's wrong. It's a lie. Because if life comes from Jesus Christ, and I'm learning to be holistic so that who I am and what I do is all wound up together 
then it's not about how, you know, how much is enough. It's how much can I give all of who I am to that, to what Jesus is doing in me and through me? How can I give all myself to that and trust God in the process? Because if he really is good and he really does want to bless me and bless you, then why wouldn't I just go for it all? So a couple of uh, presuppositions. I want to divorce us from the idea that when we get done today, we're going to have something more we have to do. Maybe there's something more we need to be. All right. But we want to continue to shift our ideas of how God can use us. God uses ordinary people doing very simple things to, to do extraordinarily significant work in the kingdom. God uses ordinary people through very simple means to do extraordinary work in the kingdom. That is the reason I chose Peter. And so we we heard some of Peter's story, and I want to do a little bit of a survey of Peter's life. Peter, in his own right, he was a bit of a leader. And you can see that in the text of Scripture. Even in the story here, he is a fishing partner with these other guys, but he's the one who's kind of always out there. He kind of puts himself out there. And throughout the Gospels, as we read the story... You see, oftentimes, Peter's the first one. He'll, he'll jump up and he'll do something. But I've been, I've had the great privilege to be in, in, in northern Galilee. It is po-dunk. I mean, if, if Peter was a big fish, he was a big fish in a little tiny pond, right? And you might remember that when, when Jesus was starting to, to rise in prominence and there, you know, it's people getting noticed, they're going, well, who's these guys you have with him? I mean, these are, these are nothing to write home about. You know, this is not going to help Jesus' reputation, these guys. So Peter, in, in many ways, he's an ordinary person, learning to do the simple things that Jesus asked him to do. And through Peter's life, he makes a significant impact in the kingdom for Jesus Christ. And one of the things that we want to carry away today is that God can do that through us, through ordinary people doing simple things. I was participating in a wedding yesterday, just as an example. And we did that passage out of 1 Corinthians, you know, that probably half of us had in our wedding, right? Love is patient, love is kind, does not keep a record of wrongs, all that good stuff. Sounds good, and, and you could probably guess, you know, what the message was related to that. But here's the part of the point of that whole passage, right? Is that love shines brightest in difficult circumstances where simple things make a difference. Doesn't have to be somebody who's great at speaking in front of a whole bunch of people. Doesn't have to be the person who started five churches. It doesn't, it just has to be the person who's willing to love when it's difficult. So we look at this passage today, and I think Peter gives us, uh, I think I have a clicker here someplace. Oh, I got my first point. I, I don't know how I did that, but I, I already got it up there. So that works for me. So God uses people who are surrendered to Jesus. And you see that in this passage as we look through it. So Jesus is talking, and uh, 
you know, in different times when Jesus was working with crowds, they tended to get really close, and it gets really hard to be able to talk to a crowd or people crowding in. So, what a great solution. There's a couple of boats right there, and I wonder in the story, at what point does Jesus start to kind of pick Peter out? Peter and his disciples. But maybe at this point, it's just that this was a practical solution. He turns to Peter, and I'm guessing, and this is the guess, but I'm guessing he turns to Peter in part because Peter is apparently the leader. He's the one who's standing out there a little bit. And so he says, hey, uh, can I get in your boat? Let's put out from shore a little bit. And it creates this great natural amphitheater so, so Jesus can continue to speak, right? Well, he gets done. He gets done saying what he's going to say, and then he turns to Peter. And at this point, at least, now he's focusing in. He says, hey, Let's take your boat out into deeper water and put the net down. Catch some fish. Now, you, maybe many of you are familiar with this, but I, I was thinking about it again, and it's, I tell you what, there's several things that are wrong with what Jesus said, okay? Just wrong. First, is hugely inconvenient. They just washed their nets. It says in the text they were washing their nets. Now, I don't know if... I mean, maybe because there's no fish, right? When they put their nets back down, there's not going to be any fish. Maybe it's just, it's a second rinsing. You know what I'm saying? It's like, but uh, it's also um, an opportunity in futility. Because uh, if you're familiar with fishing in that day, you notice he says that they fished all night. So they would fish during the evening at the night, uh, day, or, excuse me, nighttime hours. And they would fish in the shallower water. And that's where they would fish. They had done that all night. And now uh, now Jesus is saying, hey, why don't you go in deeper water? Now it's daylight. Let's go out to deeper water. Okay? Now, I commercial fished for a while. And I think commercial fishing is this way as much as anything. Okay? And I think men are this way. I, I'll, just be, I'll just It's a stereotype. Okay, it's a stereotype. But I... Men get their identity from what they do. You would not believe, when I started commercial fishing, how fast I went from novice to expert. <laughs> right? You know, so you, when you first start, you're trying to figure out what's going on. I hadn't spent a lot of time on boats. But right away, there's a different kind of swagger around the, you know, oh, yeah, I've been there, done that. Yeah, we fished down there the North Line last year. We did great. You know, we caught lots of fish. We did, you know, so... But men get their identity from that. And this was kind of brought home to me one time because uh, my wife and I, while we would commercial fish in the summertime, we lived on a sailboat for two and a half years. And one winter, this was in Portland, Oregon, on the Columbia River. And one winter, it snowed, wet snow, really thick. And then it rained on top of that, and then it froze. And so there was a covered area over the docks where we lived in the marina, and even though those docks typically would float probably a foot and a half out of the water, they were all becoming a submerged because there's thousands of pounds of snow and ice up on the roof. And there was real concern that it was going to sink boats, stuff like that. Well, a few of us trying to be heroes, we're going to go up and, and tie off and try and get as much of that off as we can. Well, I was the first one up. I tied a, a line the length of the peak of the roof, right? So that you could tie off from that, and the idea is not to slide off into the water. But I knew, like, people's lives depended on this. So even though I was a trained fisherman who knew how to tie good knots, 
I tied those knots, and then I tied any kind of knots. I made up knots. I had this huge knot ball, right? Because I was going to make sure nobody was going to fall off. Well, there. this is a marina with boaters who have egos. And I remember there was a guy, and he goes, who tied off that knot? And I remember just thinking, oh, no. Oh, I, the shame I felt. I didn't know what to say. He looked at me in absolute disgust because of the knot I tied. See, there's a, there could be a lot of pride. Now, in, in Peter's listening to uh, Jesus speak and all. I mean, he has some really powerful things to say about life. But when it comes to fishing, uh, Jesus, listen, this is, this is futile. We're going to look stupid out there, right? But here's the deal. I'll get this up on the screen. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, because you say so, I will let down the nets. In terms of how God can use us and the type of person that God can use, God uses people who say, okay. When we hear God's voice, we say, okay. When it's inconvenient. When it doesn't make sense. When it's impractical. I'm, I'm a person who's very bent on what's practical. So when somebody tells me that they, that they feel like God's telling them something and it doesn't seem practical to me, I mean, my immediate reaction is, really? You think, ah, this hugely impractical. God's looking for people who say yes, because he's the master. Peter demonstrates that. So he goes on, you know, and they let the, they let the net down, and Peter's got to call somebody else over. And what Peter does is he goes, wow, this is cool. He goes up to Jesus. He goes, you know what? I was wrong about you. You're a better fisherman than I thought. I tell you what, let's work a deal. I'm going to take you around in my boat so you can preach, and we'll go fishing afterward each time. Okay? And here's the thing. I'll give you 30%. Right? <laughs> right? I mean, blessing. Right? I mean, this, is, this works out good. That's not what he did, obviously. It says, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. One of the things that struck me about this when I was reading this this week is that other places in the Gospels, people ask Jesus to leave. But there's some real clues here that what Peter is ultimately doing is really opening his heart. So he said yes, and now he's surrendering his heart. And you can see it because he, he dresses him as Lord. He says, go away from me, Lord. And you can see it because he falls on his knees. Right? You can see it because he acknowledges that he was a sinful man. There is a real open and honest face-to-face with Jesus in that moment. And I think Peter just felt like, you know what? I, I just don't, I'm kind of undone here. Kind of like Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6, if you're familiar with that. When Isaiah, he sees the throne room in heaven and he sees the God Almighty 
somehow lifted high and he's like, oh my goodness, I'm undone. And Peter is honest enough with himself to come face to face with Jesus. Right? And not say, look, I admit I've made a few mistakes. But, not like that. Right? Not like, no comparisons. Just an honest, very honest. I'll tell you what it made me think about. Maybe think about how easy it is to be spiritual without being face to face with Jesus. As a pastor, you can pray, you can do spiritual things, you can serve, you can do you can do things and somehow lose a face to face connection with Jesus. Maybe Jesus was testing Peter, but in this moment, Jesus saw, here's somebody who's willing to bring who he really is to me. And so Jesus' response says, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. Anytime we come face to face with Jesus and allow him to shape who we are, the significance of our lives will go up. The significance of our story goes up. You know, we think a lot in terms of sacrifice, what you have to give up to do it. You know, sacrifice, another way to look at it, it's always trading up for something of more value. It's giving up something in order to gain something of value. So I don't know why it is in our culture, at least for me, it feels like when we talk about sacrifice, what we're, what we're talking about is what we give up. We don't talk about what we're gaining. When we sacrifice our self-will, when we sacrifice our pretense, Jesus gives us in return opportunity for great significance in his kingdom. So that's the first first one. We God uses people who are surrendered to him. And then the next story I want to look at is uh, one we might be familiar with. It's in John 21. And we uh, continue, uh, God uses people who continue to be reconciled to Jesus. Now, as you, as you look at the story of Peter, he makes a few mistakes. Even though in that moment, right when he had that encounter with Jesus in Luke chapter 5, he says, you will now fish for people. Not... After the apprentice program, if you jump through the hoops and you've proven yourself, then, no, he, he states right, right from the get-go, I've got a plan for significance for your life. So in John 21, this is a story where it's after the resurrection. Jesus is risen from the dead. And uh, disciples, oddly enough, are out fishing again. You may remember... Peter has had his epic failure. The one where, you know, leading up to the cross, he says, look, Jesus, if all the other disciples turn their back, I'm not. In fact, I got my sword. I'm ready to go to battle. You can count on me to the death. Jesus lovingly, without shame, says, actually, 
you're going to fail. And you know the story, hopefully. But three times, Peter denies Jesus. And then, uh, you know, they have a couple of encounters with Jesus, brief encounters after the resurrection. But this time they've been fishing. They haven't caught anything. It's really interesting how the parallels. Because Jesus says, throw the net out on the other side. Let's see what he says exactly. Make sure I got it. Throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, that's, by the way, that's John. He likes to, he doesn't like to say his own name. So John, he leans over to Peter and goes, hey, that's the Lord, right? So I find Peter's response kind of interesting. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he'd taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. So the first observation, Peter's making some mistakes. I can imagine being in that situation, knowing that I had failed big time, and there hadn't been real reconciled, I hadn't really been reconciled to Jesus. I mean, I've seen him. But that issue hadn't been really dealt with. It's still kind of out there. So when John says, hey, it's the Lord. What's your reaction when you hear something like that? When you just say, oh, the Lord's here. You know what? I think I need, they need my help at the back of the boat, down low. You know what I'm saying? I mean, my tendency, when I feel like I've blown it, what am I going to say? I, you know, I'm disgusted with my inability to do it on my own or, you know, I good intentions, whatever, I don't know. But, I, and maybe this, you know, obviously Peter loves Jesus, but maybe, maybe there's something about Jesus that I need to understand, that you need to understand, that Peter in this situation, as soon as he knows it's the Lord, his impulse is to run to Jesus. To run to Jesus. So here's the question I have in relationship to this for you. Maybe there's someone here today. You've got a history of walking with the Lord. But there's an area in your life or something you happened. And now you've kind of put yourself on the back burner. You kind of feel like, well, you know, emotionally, I feel like, you know, I've kind of burned my chances at this point. My place is in the back of the boat. Let me encourage you to jump and run. Be reconciled to Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He says, well, Peter... You did. You messed up. And so I'll tell you what, we're going to put you on a probation program. Right? After you finish the probation program and stuff, then maybe we'll get you reinstated as an apprentice disciple. No, that's not what he says. You guys know the story, but let me read it real quickly. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, 
Do what I've asked you to do. Jesus says, do what I've called you to do. Feed my lambs. Get back so that who you are and what you do is together. It's a whole thing. Feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And so Jesus said, feed my sheep. God uses people who are surrendered, who who stay face to face with him. God uses people who continue to be reconciled. Who don't stay in the back of the boat. But go to Jesus and be restored. And this next point. God uses people. I can't see it on this slide. I have to look back here. God uses people who have their hope in Jesus' return. This is a little bit more abstract. But I'm looking at the life of, of Peter. When you look at the disciples' life and look at the life of Peter. You may remember that early on in Jesus' ministry, he goes into a community and miracles are happening and he's doing lots of things. And it says that Jesus gets up very early in the morning. He goes up to pray. The disciples get up and say, wow, this is cool. I mean, look at all the people who are coming out. We've got a good, where's Jesus? We've got to go find Jesus because we've got, oh, yeah, just hang on just a second. We're going to get this going here in just a minute. we you know, and we find Jesus, like, Jesus, there's a lot of people. He goes, well, we're going someplace else. Okay. Well, this seemed like a pretty good thing going here. I mean, you got a lot of, you got a lot of people here. I mean, you're going to have to start fresh. You go someplace else. So Jesus had a different agenda. And you might remember one time when Jesus says, who do people say I am? And Peter's the one who speaks up. He says, you're the Messiah. The son of God. And then Jesus says, God has revealed this to you. And since he's revealed this to you, let me let you know, too. That the son of man is going to be betrayed. He's going to. He's going to be crucified. And the third day he's going to raise it. Peter's. Whoa, 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 whoa. No, 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 no. <laughs> That's not what happens. Look, we got to. We, we've been talking. You know, we've got a little bit better plan here. I think this will work out really good for everybody. Because you're getting popular, you know, right? Jesus says, Peter, get behind me, Satan. Right? I've got a different agenda. And even as the disciples are going into Jerusalem, they're talking about who's going to be greatest. You know, after they overthrow the Romans, who's going to be on Jesus' right and left? And they get surprised that Jesus' agenda is a little bit different. We just finished a long series in Acts. In that series, I think it's right around Acts 12. I'm not exactly sure of the chapter. 11 and 12. Peter is shocked because what God is doing in building his church in the Gentile nations. And he goes to Cornelius' house and he says, you know what? I was wrong. And I'm just learning what Jesus is doing. And I'm, I'm learning to become a part of it. 
When we get to uh, Peter's le- letters, First Peter, Second Peter, the thing that strikes me about Peter that's huge contrast to some Christian authors today, okay? Not that you don't, but there's a tension here. But Peter's focus is the hope that we have when Jesus comes back. Not that Jesus is going to make our lives so good and wonderful here and now. There is a tremendous, I feel, a tremendous pressure in our culture that when you pray hard enough, when you do the right things, that you get blessed. Your business, you know, your kids get to go to the right school. You don't get, you know, you're healthy now. And now what's Peter focused, instead of the things are going to be great in the here and now, and we're going to take over and, and we're going to win, it's about enduring. Because he's seen now Jesus Christ. In his second letter, he goes, understand, I saw the majesty of Christ revealed. You may remember that story. It happened at a critical time with the disciples because Jesus is pushing them in their faith. He's saying some pretty amazing things like, if anybody would come after me, you have to leave everything behind. You have to eat my flesh, drink my blood. I mean, he's there's some hard teaching and they're looking, wow, you know. And at that critical time, they're thinking, man, did I get on the wrong train or whatever? Jesus takes three disciples, Peter, James, and John, up on the mountain, transfiguration. And they witness some of glory, the glory of Jesus Christ. And they hear this majestic voice out of heaven. Said, this is my son. In him I'm well pleased. So Peter reminds his readers in, in his second letter. He goes, hey, I've seen this. And trust me, whatever you're going through now, it's worth it. Because when Jesus Christ is revealed, that's going to be when the victory is. That's when it's going to mean something. Right? Not just... I mean, it's great when we pray and we get the, the easy parking spot. You know what I'm saying? And there's a tension because I, I really believe that God wants to bless me now. Right? He wants to bless me. He wants to bless me financially. He wants to bless me in my relationships, my marriage, my kids. But he wants to bless me more in terms of the eternal story that he's painting, much more than my temporary kind of fixation on it. Does that make sense? I want to read a little bit of First Peter. This is his letter, starting in verse 3 of First Peter 1, 3. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. I'm going to put this next uh, verse up on the. He says, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of troubles. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. 
You see, we can believe sort of like the subtle... Notice he does not say, you know what, you guys are going through difficulty, but if you pray harder, right, then then it's going to work out. If you... Um, I don't know, if you, if you tithe more, if you, if you just try and be better, that's not what he said. We can serve God through our enduring faith and belief in the hope that we have that this is just the warm-up. This is just a warm-up. Real life, fully realized in the presence of Jesus, the glorious one, is out there. That's what we look forward to. And so holding a, a, an appropriate tension, because our culture says this is all there is. You see it all over. I listened to a financial advisor on the radio and says, man, you lose your health. You've lost everything, right? Because if this is all there is, you lose your health. That's, that's it. You, you, you know, you save money for no, no reason. Having a perspective where we look forward to Jesus changes how we deal with circumstances and how we serve God now. It gives us hope. It gives us perseverance. Because I don't have to define my circumstances. The apparent failure, the things not working out, as meaning that somehow I didn't pray hard enough, I didn't serve hard enough, I didn't do something hard enough. But it's that perseverance that's continuing to trust, continuing that face-to-face with Jesus Christ, and know that when He comes, everything will be shown for what it is. Justice will reign. Righteousness will reign. We will be revealed as His children and that's what we hope for. Does that make sense? Do you guys agree? I'm just curious, but do you agree that we get this pressure? Like somehow, if we're really spiritual, you're you're going to get that job you want, right? Your kids are going to get it to Harvard. You're going. I mean, it's just like, really? That's not my life. I must be doing something wrong, or am I, or are you? Jesus wants to be with us in the boat, in the storm. It's not always about making the waves go down or being ashore. It's about being with Jesus and serving him. Hey, real quickly, as an interlude, I'm going to invite Jared Christensen up here. I'm looking for my mic, my second mic, Jared, here. So one of the things that we can do in serving the Lord as a young person or any more, you guys, you probably guys have more non-traditional students all the time. Yep. Yep. So as a young person or as an older person, and I did this, but Jared Christensen is from North Park University. And if you don't know what that is, our denomination, the Evangelical Covenant Church, has its own educational institutions. And we've had different staff members who have come through, who have gone through North Park and I've always had something very positive to say. But you're here today. Real quickly, what would you like to share with us? Yeah, just a couple of things. First of all, thanks for letting me be here. Um, high school students, how many of you were at Chick this summer? Raise your hand. Anyone? A few people at Chick? Okay. How many of you had a snow cone at, at Chick? 
Well, that was North Park. We do a lot more than snow cones, though. Uh, we were there, as uh, as was said, we are the University of the Evangelical Covenant Church. We're on the north side of Chicago. Our mission is to prepare students for lives of significance and service, to prepare and equip you for what it is that God has called you to do. And the way that we do that, we say, is Christian, urban, and intercultural. And so we've got you know lots of majors, athletic uh, programs. We have service and ministry opportunities. Um, I'm going to be here between the services to chat with you. I'd love to get to know you, uh, to talk to you about North Park, to hear what it is that you're interested in pursuing, and even just to talk through the college search process. That can be an intimidating thing. And so I want to be a resource for you today. I'll be at a college fair this afternoon at Grace Christian School, be at another college fair in the morning, but wanted to connect here uh, with the Covenant Church just as uh, part of the denomination to offer you uh, some some news and information. And also would love to tell you we've just actually increased the Covenant member grant. So if you are a member or an active participant in a Covenant Church, you can actually receive three $3,000 per year to come to North Park. And so I'd be happy to talk to you about that as well. But hopefully I'll connect with you after the service. Thanks again for giving me a chance to be here today. Thank you. Thank you, Jerry. Anybody know what sport this is by chance? Football. Very good. Somebody over here said soccer. This is football. I love watching football. And I want to just use this as a metaphor. If you look at this picture, you notice there's some people who are suited up and they're in the game. And then there's some people who are suited up, but they're kind of standing on the sidelines. Uh, and, and, and in the football game, the reason they're standing on the sidelines is because the coach has to put them in. Usually they're like, coach, I'm ready. Look, he's running slow today. Put me in for him. I'll show you, right? But anyway, they're suited up, but they're not playing. That's the point. Right, And then you have people in the stands. They're just watching. In terms of how God wants to use you, where do you put yourself in that photograph? I'm asking rhetorically. <laughs> Thanks, Tim. And I, you know, I don't really want this to be discouraging. I, honestly, part of what I hope for is that um, somebody here didn't realize that they were suited up and in the game. But God is using the simple things in their life and their faithfulness to impact others. God's using you where you're at, even in the midst of struggles. Maybe maybe there's one or two of us that, uh, you, you know, you, you go to a lot of Bible studies and, and go to church and you do, you know, you check some of those important boxes. But in terms of the sense of where is God calling me to really serve? You're like maybe the person who suited up. But not in the game. Or or maybe you've done something in the past that you feel like, you know what? I probably I'm probably fourth string at this point. You know? I want to encourage us that uh if if you go with the motif that Jesus is the coach, he wants us all to play. There's a place for all of us to play. But we have to be suited up and we have to get in, in the game. Can I close this in a word of prayer? Lord Jesus, we thank you for um, the example of Peter, who uh, was bold for you. And uh, even in the midst of mistakes, he, he kept coming back. And you kept restoring him and calling him 
Lord, to what you wanted him to do. Lord, may we be like that. May we see that in your calling, that it involves both who we are and what we're to do. And it's not just a test. But it's an opportunity to be like you. To do the things that you would do. To say the things that you would do. Lord, I pray that we would learn to do the simple things of loving and serving. And by doing that, that we could have an extraordinary significance in your kingdom. For this church, for this community, and for our world. That's our prayer, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.